0: What's interesting about Chris Tomlin is that he was actually told by a music professional that he ought not to go into singing because he couldn't sing. But he's been used by the Lord to impact thousands and thousands and millions of lives. What the Lord can do when we give Him all that we are is amazing. And we want to test that. We want to put that right to the mat where we live and where we walk. What is life worship? That's what we've been really tackling. What is worship? In verse 1, Paul implored, he pleaded that we would place ourselves on the altar, commit to giving God all of who we are for His good, pleasing, perfect purposes. That was verse 1. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, which I hope you do, chapter 12 of Romans, we learned that is worship. What is worship? It's a life of committed service to God. Now, some of us really love the music. A lot of us probably really come here. We love to sing. During the week, music just ministers to your soul. Probably a lot of you drive around singing a lot of these worship songs. The worship isn't just singing. Worship isn't just music. In fact, if you really want to know what worship is, worship is giving all of who you are to serving God. That's worship. That's what it means biblically. To live fully committed to God. We can't let, if we're going to do that, the world squeeze us into its mold. Now listen, you remember, the world is alive. The world in, in the Bible is not just a word. It's a word that captures the dynamic, energetic life that opposes and is antagonistic to God. So when you read about the world in the Bible, you're reading about an energy force A live, dynamic power that opposes God, and when it squeezes us into its mold, makes us look like it, then we don't want to do God's will, so we need our mind renewed, and when the mind is renewed, then the heart says, God, I want to give you everything. It just doesn't make sense for me to hold anything back from you. You've given me everything. You've given me your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, everything. I want to give you all of who I am and as our minds are renewed we want to do God's will you know I had a conversation yesterday with a, a young lady that came up through our youth ministry she's in college she's not living a righteous life she's not living with Christ she's living in the world doing what the world wants her to do and I said to her I asked her I said are you miserable are you miserably empty is the phrase I used, and she said yes that you're supposed to be. If you're a child of God, a daughter of God himself, a sister of Christ. And when the world squeezes you into its mold, it's going to leach out your joy. Because the world has no joy. It has have happiness. It doesn't have joy. So we talked about that. We talked about her getting to the point where God can convince her that he loves her and that she should and want to give him all of her life. Renewed minds allow God's servants to think rightly. To think rightly about what? Well, listen, this is what we said about ourselves, me, about you. A renewed mind helps me think rightly. We're going to hear this this morning about ministry. That's what renewing of the mind does. Friends, listen, it has the power to change your life. And how is your mind renewed? It's here. I hope during this series that you've gotten more faithful and more disciplined in reading and studying and hiding in your heart the Word of God. There's no other way. Friends, there's no other way on earth for your mind to be renewed. There is no other way. And if you want a life where you hunger and desire and and the ability to live out God's good, perfect, pleasing will, your mind must be renewed. It's the pathway to a fully committed life. So what does Paul teach us this morning? Well, we're in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 6, 7, and 8. I know a gasp is coming out of most of you because that's kind of a large chunk of Scripture for me to take. I understand that. But there's a lot in here. We need to fly through it. So I'm going to give you three main things that God is speaking through Paul to us that we've got to learn. And it all has to do with how do you think rightly, about ministry. Here we go. God gives his people different gifts. Now, that's easy. Look at verse six. It says, having gifts that differ. Wow, I am quite the theologian, aren't I? To extrapolate that. God gives his people different gifts. What does that mean? Let me tell you what the word gifts means. You ever known a charismatic personality? Magnetic Charming, powerful, pulling, that's not what this means. It is the word charisma. In fact, when it says uh, having gifts that are different in the Greek, it's having charisma, which means gifts of grace. Now listen, I'm going to explain to you something this morning that I think it might jar your thinking a little bit. I don't know if you're used to thinking about spiritual gifts in the way that I'm going to teach you this morning. So I'm going to ask you to really bend and focus your mind to learning this. God gives these gifts to us, listen, as vehicles of His grace. Conduits of His grace so that He can bless the lives of other people. Did you hear that? Spiritual gifts aren't natural abilities. Now, here it is. I'm going to jar your thinking. They're not even specifically supernatural abilities. Oh, boy. I've always heard that they are. Here's what they are they're supernatural capacities to do God's will. Let me explain it. Let's say you have in your kitchen various appliances. You've got a toaster, a blender, a fridge, a dishwasher. A microwave, all of these, each of these is designed for a specific but different function. But listen, they've all got to be plugged in to work. The power has to get to the appliance for it to work. Spiritual gifts are divinely given capacities to receive power from God in order to accomplish a specific function. We don't look at spiritual gifts like this. We look at them as ready-made, ready-to-go, supernatural abilities, friends, their capacities, their conduits and vehicles of God's grace. But the power can be... Now listen, the power that runs through these capacities can either be the Spirit of God or your flesh. The power of the Spirit will work through these gifts and result in blessing and ministering and building up the church and advancing the kingdom of God. But the power of the flesh can work through these capacities as well. And the result is the destroying and the harming and the injuring and the dividing of the church and the bringing glory to yourself. Friends, listen, I can preach in a destructive manner that glorifies me or I could preach in a way that builds you up and brings glory to God. I can either preach in the spirit, or I could preach in the flesh. We can serve in a way that advances our own reputation, or we can serve in a way that advances God's, called glorifying God. See, the gifts of the Spirit are brand new capacities. That he gives his children the moment they put their trust in their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And these capacities receive power from the Spirit of God to do what God has asked them and told them to do. And the result is always the good of one another, the building of the church, and the glory of God. How do I know that? Look what Paul says To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? Look on the screen for the common good. Why did God give us spiritual gifts? It's for the good of one another. They're vehicles of grace. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, here's what Paul says, strive to excel in what? In building up the church. Use the vehicles of grace, these capacities, as you walk with the Spirit of God that will build Up the church. What's the church? The church isn't a new vestibule. It's not a new narthex. The church isn't a higher building and a larger sanctuary. The church is the collection of God's called out people who are in Christ. All right, so that was pretty fun. God gives us different gifts, right? What else does Paul say? He says God gives us the power to use these gifts. Now, here we go again. I'm going to get you thinking a little bit different than what you traditionally think when it comes to spiritual gifts. Here's what he says. According to the grace given to us. Now, what does that mean? How often have you read this passage and read according to the grace given to us and sort of skip over that to get to the fun listing part. Prophecy, service, teaching, all that other stuff. Well, this means something. It's inspired by God. And what it means is that God gives His people supernatural capacities. We just learned that. But here it is. He provides the exact amount of power needed to make those gifts function to the glory of God. Now friends, this is absolutely exhilarating. God not only gives the capacities, but He gives you the exact measure. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, God has measured out what we need from Him to make the gifts operate in our lives to accomplish His will so that He might receive glory. You know what John MacArthur says about this verse? I kind of like MacArthur. He says this, grace that has been given to us is the enabling power that makes the special gifts, spiritual gifts, function to the glory of God. Friends, it's measured out. God measures out to each believer exactly what is needed for the operation of the gifts he's given to you. You know what that means? It means that God not only gives each of His children capacities to do His will, He gives us the power that works through those capacities to bring glory to Him. We don't bring it to the table, friends. God does. (coughs) Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Friends, you have a gift. You have a gift. You may have several gifts. I think God is pretty incredibly generous. If you think you only have one gift, maybe you don't know God as well as you think you might. God is not stingy. And if He's given you gifts, He's given them to you for a reason. It says to serve one another as good stewards of what? His grace. That's what a spiritual gift is. It's a vehicle, a conduit for God's grace to give to one another. Friends, if you've got the gift of service that you're about to read, now look up here for a second. I want you to hear this. If you have a gift of service, you know who you bless when you use it? When God empowers you to use that gift, you bless the others in this church. Do you know why the Spirit of God is producing fruit in our lives? We don't eat the fruit. Other people eat the fruit. Why is there joy? So that it spills over into your life. Why is there love? So that you know how God sees you. Why is there peace? So that there's an anchor in the storms of your life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And Peter says, whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves... As one who serves, by what? Look what it says: by the strength that God supplies. And what's the result? Glory through Jesus Christ. You see, God will never ask us to do anything that He will not enable us to do. Now, I want you to get that. I think that's so important. You hear that? That I want you to see, hear that again, and maybe even write it down. Here it is: God will never ask you to do what He will not enable you to do. Never. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I don't think every Christian does. When a child of God places himself or herself on the altar and says, God, do in my life what you will. I am yours. I am all yours. Friends, God will take and empower that person to live out the plan he has. But there's more. And it moves us to our final point, and this is going to be fun. Not only do we have different gifts, and not only does God give us the power to use those gifts, let her see, God wants the gifts to be used responsibly. And you might say to me, Tim, I don't even know what my spiritual gifts are. I need a calling from God. I need God to give me a banner across the sky that will tell me this is how I've gifted you. Now go live in it. You know what? If that's you, friends, you're going to be sitting there waiting for that banner maybe for a lifetime. Make yourself available, the Word of God says in Romans. Put yourself on the altar. Commit to serving Him. He will lead and you will discover when you exercise your faith the way He has gifted you and what He's asked you to do. You don't need to sit down and wait for God to make clear what it is that He's given you uh, the assignment for you to do, you will find out very quickly when you sign up in the nursery with a gift of mercy and find out you can't stand (laughs) kids. Paul lists seven gifts here. But it's not an exhaustive list. There is nowhere in Scripture that a complete list of spiritual gifts is given. It seems, friends, that God doesn't want us to have an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts. Why? Because all of us like to box God in and figure him out. Because we can tame God when we do. So he doesn't give us a list. In fact, we're told in Corinthians chapter 12, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So what are these gifts? These gifts that he lists here. You ready? We're going to go through them one by one. He says, if prophecy, well, in proportion to your faith. So, the Greek word for prophet, you know what that means? Nostradamus. I'm just kidding. His name's never in scripture. The Greek word for prophet literally means one who stood in front of another person and spoke for him. That's what it means to be a prophet. A prophet is one who speaks the Word of God. It's the one who declares that which cannot be known by natural means. It's the foretelling of the will of God, whether it's reference to the past, the present, or the future. Now sometimes, friends, listen, sometimes there is foretelling in Scripture, but more regularly, it's foretelling. fact, in the 16th century, in Zurich, Pastors came together weekly for what they called their prophesying time. You know what they did there? They shared exegetical, practical insights from the Word of God that they had learned so that it would help them more effectively pastor their churches. See, to prophesy is to preach and proclaim the Word of God, namely Jesus Christ, who is revealed by the Word. That's what it means to prophesy. Prophesy. Now, a lot of us come in here thinking, well, no, I think prophesying is more, what I've heard, foretelling what's going to happen in the future. Well, sometimes it is, but it's only because the Word of God has already plainly revealed it. You're just proclaiming what God has already said, because there is no new revelation. You see, the gift of prophesying is clearly spoken about in Scripture. Here's what Paul says. It's the one who prophesies, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. See, prophesying is the gift of being God's public spokesman to instruct and encourage and warn and rebuke and challenge and comfort in a powerfully effective way. Now, listen, it's deadly, deadly to the church when it's done in the flesh. But it's powerful. When in the Spirit, and it's not just pastors and elders who have this gift. Lay people as well. Preach, Paul says, in proportion to our faith. He means don't compare yourself with any other person. God's given you exactly what He wants, the exact measure to be able to do what He's asked you to do. That's what it means. But he goes on, he lists... A second spiritual gift in this list, it's service. He says service and our serving. See, while we are called to serve one another, all of us are. By the way, none of us are called to be served. Did somebody say, amen that? Was that my wife? Was that you? I can only hear out of this ear, and I know it didn't come from that direction. Although I'm sure Millen would have said it too. (coughs) Amen. We're all called to serve. Some are given the supernatural capacity, however, to be able to serve others in extraordinary ways with no recognition needed. That's not everyone. Friends, believe me. There's a lot of people that like to serve and get the recognition. How do you know? You don't recognize them, and you find out quickly. This is the capacity... To be able to hear of something that needs to be done, and they're there. No questions asked. You just go do it. Whether anybody else shows up or not, they go. When those who have this gift exercise it, friends, it is one of the most powerful witnesses in the church for this world. And there's a reason why God inspired Paul. Have you ever noticed prophecy, service, teaching? I mean, here's the two most notable gifts that get the limelight, prophecy and teaching. And here's service packed right in the middle because a church with prophesying and teaching and no service is a dead church filled with knowledge. Where would the church be without those who have this gift? Friends, if you've got the gift of service, God will make it clear because you want to serve without always being asked. But Paul moves on. He says, the one who teaches and is teaching. You know, the need is great in the church for teachers. Did you know that every single list of spiritual gifts in Scripture has the gift of teaching in it? The message of Christ needs to be proclaimed, that's prophecy, but it also needs to be explained. That's teaching. Teaching is the capacity to impart truth, to instruct by explaining and application. That's what the gift of teaching does. And when it's exercised in the spirit, it leads to spiritual growth in both knowledge and life. But when it's exercised in the flesh, friends, it might tickle the ears of that teacher. And they might gain notoriety, but it's not going to do anything in the church. Study, if you've got this gift. Learn, grow in your knowledge of Christ, and teach what you know to others for their edification in Christ. But he moves on. The fourth gift that he brings out is the one who exhorts. It's the gift of exhortation. Did you know that this word, is one of my favorite words in Scripture. I absolutely love it. I'll tell you why in a minute. It occurs 107 times in the New Testament. I think it's pretty important. Now listen, pro- prophecy is proclamation. Teaching is, is explanation. But exhorting is motivation. Parents, have you ever taught your children to roller skate or ice skate? And you go around the outside of that rink, You're holding their hands tightly, maybe even your arm around them as they try to stay on their feet. That's the visual meaning of the word exhort, which means to come alongside and walk with a person and encourage him or her to live out God's truth. That's what it means to exhort. Some people think exhortation is just yelling. Sometimes it does mean to spur somebody on. Sometimes it does mean To say the truth a a little harder than you normally would. But exhortation, whether it's in saying truth that's harder than normal, or coming alongside and putting your arm around them and sitting with them through grief, has the same goal. Live out God's truth. That's why Barnabas, who was called the son of encouragement, was so powerful in ministry. Do you see why it is so important that we employ these gifts and ministries so that we can build up the church of Christ? Can you imagine me preaching every week and you have teachers that are explaining the Bible but nobody's coming alongside of you and saying, hey, are you living it? How come you're not? I'm going to call you weekly, maybe even daily to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to sit through this trial with you. That's exhortation. Ray Stedman, pastor, commentator, says uh, the gift of exhortation is the capacity to move the will to warm the heart to impel to action. That's what it means, the gift of exhortation. But Paul moves on. And he says the one who contributes in generosity. Now friends, again, all of us are called to give. Strange how there are no amens. We're all called to give, but the word contributes is not the normal word in the Greek for giving. It's called an intensified verb. Verbs are action words. The word contribute means sharing and giving what you own for the benefit of other people, whether you have a lot or not. Some Christians, rich or poor, have this supernatural capacity, listen, this is what it means to have this gift, to see and sense needs in other people and to give generously and sacrificially in a way that is most helpful. You know, years ago, 12 years ago, we lived on Southside. We were renting a house over there. And we were having some problems with our car, and it was going to cost quite a lot of money to get it fixed, but we didn't know where that money was coming from. I made $28,000 a year. And we prayed and we prayed, and all of a sudden we went out to get the mail. And there in an envelope, postmarked somewhere in Lehigh Valley, sent through the postal service, was $800 of cash. Somehow, somebody without us ever mentioning it knew that we were struggling financially and they acted on the need. Friends, that's the gift of of giving. You can see or sense what other people can't. Whether it's a good economy, whether it's a poor economy, you give and it says give in generosity. Look at what the text says. The one who contributes to generosity. You know what that word means? It actually combines two words. It means generosity and simplicity. Now, what does that mean? It means to give without ulterior motives, to give without judging, to give with a singleness of mind that says, oh man, I'm going to really miss this money. You want to give. It's not out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of getting a payback, not out of a sense to gain recognition. It's out of sheer pleasure of giving for giving's sake. Now, let me tell you something. The flesh doesn't have that capacity. The Spirit of God does. And when the Spirit of God is moving through His people who have this gift, people don't suffer want. The problem is a lot of people who have this gift operate in the flesh. And he says as he goes on, the one who leads with zeal... Now, I'm going to tell you something from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a book that talks a lot about spiritual gifts. But the entire book is about division after division in the church. Now, listen, you may never have known this. Did you know that the Apostle Paul in the entire book of 1 Corinthians does not talk about the church's leadership it's almost as if that church had no leadership, which is almost why you can understand they had such division and why the spiritual gifts became such a point of chaos and conflict. Without this gift of leadership, a church cannot excel. What's it mean to lead? Well, the word actually means or it comes from a shipmaster or a pilot who steers a ship. Technically, The word means to stand before others. Functionally, it means to govern, administrate, and manage. It's not just elders and deacons' job to lead. Although that is a requirement in the list of qualifications to be an elder and a a deacon, you must be able to manage, there's the same word, your family well. But it's not limited to elders and deacons. It's given to those whom God has given the capacity to, to plan or execute and organize. And Paul tells those who have this gift, look what he says, use it with zeal. You know what zeal is? It combines haste and eagerness. In other words, friends, listen, if God's given you the capacity to lead, don't delay. Don't wait until you get a call from the heavens or the pastor. Volunteer. Step up, lead with haste and eagerness because the church desperately needs you. And our church is no exception. But Paul goes on and he gives one last gift in this list. He says, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I love this word, mercy. It doesn't mean just pity. A lot of people think it's pity or sympathy or feeling badly for others. Friends, listen, I'm going to shock you. It doesn't even mean to have a strong feeling of compassion. That's not what it means to have mercy. To have mercy is all of what I just said coupled with the active desire to remove the misery. Friends, haven't you seen those commercials on TV where those emaciated little children are running around their village and your heart just feels terrible for them? Have you seen those? Mercy isn't coming through your gifts until you actually do something about the suffering of those children. To feel bad is not mercy, it's called pity. And that is not this gift. To have mercy, to have the gift of mercy means that you're not going to be judgmental, you're going to be heavy on compassionate action. These Christians, I love, I love people of the gift of mercy, they're so alien to me. But they're super sensitive to suffering. And they're super sensitive to sorrow. They notice suffering that others seem just not to see. And then they move toward that person to either lessen their suffering or take it away. Friends, that's what it means to have the gift of mercy. A lot of people think they have this gift. They have the gift of pity. These people are motivated towards those in the hospitals. They're motivated to go to prison and and minister. They're motivated to serve the homeless, the poor, the handicapped, the suffering, and the sorrowing. They're the ones that sit in grief day after day until the person walks through it. Paul says, use this gift. The body needs you. Be glad to use it. Use it with cheerfulness, not grumbling, not complaining. Cheerfully, the suffering need you, and mercy is its antidote. Now friends, all these gifts, and I'm almost done, I think about maybe two or three more minutes, so I really want your attention. You ready? You you don't need to close your Bibles because I'm going to show you another word. All these gifts are given for the building up of the church to make her powerful and effective And her witness to the world. We're going to see that in a few weeks. But I want to show you one more word as we close. Did you notice that little two-letter word called in? Look back in your verses 6 through 8. Did you see service in our serving? Or what your translation might say. Teaches in his teaching. Friends, you know what that word in means? It means to remain in place. Now what does that mean? When I was a kid, I used to love the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Now I'm absolutely way too sophisticated. But when I was... You don't know me very well if you believe that. But one of the Bugs Bunny episodes, Bugs Bunny was up in front on stage in a theater auditorium, and uh, somebody was shining a spotlight, and it shined a sphere of light. And wherever it moved, Bugs Bunny had to follow it. As ironic as it might be to use Bugs Bunny, that's exactly what this means. You know what this means? It means that God is directing us. And where He is directing us, stay in the sphere. If God's given you the gift of service, stay in the sphere of service. At your jobs, at your homes, in your neighborhoods, in your schools. Don't just serve when it's time to do a program at church. Live out Serving, remain in place. That's what this means. Friends, let me bring it down one more notch. We cannot step on the altar and check over the life cereal. We cannot commit ourselves fully to God if we do not learn to live in the capacities that He's given us to be vehicles of grace in whatever assignment He's asked us to do. That's worship. You want to become a worshiping child of God? Then live In the way he's made you. With the gifts that he's given to you. Doing what he's asked you to do. You remain in place. He will use you. You will have a life of abundance and fruitfulness. Amen. In the words of Paul, this is a life extraordinarily pleasing to God. It's a life of worship. Let's pray.